Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters on this uh, final Sunday of the year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you, good Dr. Morning. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. Yeah. Happy New Year to you yeah, and it, to everybody. It, uh, and you reminded me that this is the last show of, what are we, are we beginning in the 11th year? Is We're that beginning it? our 11th year of the show. Wow. Yeah, this is our, our, our last show of the of our uh, uh, tenth of year. our tenth year, yeah. Okay. Now I, now I got the numbers. Now I got right. me confused. Yeah. yeah. Well, I tell you what. Before I know you have a couple of things to say, but I want to open up the phone lines right away because when we do this open line show, uh, a lot of people want to call in and text in. So let me give you the numbers: six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Again, they're calling in right now. Don't wait because uh, you know we we have so many callers and texters that we run out of time. Uh, or send uh, Dr. Hilden your text eight one eight zero seven. Do that now, or call. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. People are up on a Sunday morning today. Oh, the yes. phones are already yeah. ringing. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna just do a, a just say thank you to listeners because when I started this show, it was I remember it was the fall of two thousand and eight. Wow! And I got an email from our hospital. They were looking to you know to, from Hennepin Healthcare. It was called Hennepin County Medical Center at the time, and and it was we're going to do a radio show. We're going to try to make it a show that is. Uh, Gives good healthcare, general healthcare information, a little bit more lighthearted manner, and not just lectures and things like right. that. Make it interactive with the people of the Midwest, and so we did. I came down here. I met you, Denny. We we launched the show on the first Sunday of two thousand and nine. And never having done radio before, I thought, well, that, 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 this is going to be nice for six months or a year. <laughs> that was what, 10 years ago. Wow. And I think, if my math is right, that makes it 520 shows, 52 weeks a year, 520 shows. Um, and so I just wanted to thank the listeners. This year has been a great one. We dubbed it The Decade with Dave. We had events at our clinic and specialty center that were attended by hundreds of you who are listening. We did a special live show. And... Uh, we've had a, a screening for hernias that was attended by loads of Healthy Matters listeners. That was a huge topic. That was a huge topic, and many are getting their surgeries fixed because of that show. Um, we did dermatology weeks. We've had lines out the door to get melan- on Melanoma Monday. So these are, and I've seen you at the state fair shows. It's just been a great ten years. It's been a great tenth year, and we look forward to launching our 11th year on the on on the air next week. So I just wanted to say a shout out and a thank you to all the listeners 
um, for uh, making it uh, a decade. They make it happen. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. And we're still here. And we are still you, here. You and I are still here. And our listeners are, are, are as well because I can see the phone lines lit up and the text line uh, being busy. I wanted to ask you something. I was thinking about it during the week because we have we had a lot of uh, stories and callers, phone calls, as a matter of fact, pe- people saying, hey, don't forget to warn people it's slippery out there. Well, you know, with that rain we had and the, the, the freezing temperatures, right. I was wondering if uh, you at the hospital saw some injuries. Yeah, the the people in the emergency department see all kinds of aches and uh, uh, bumps and bruises and broken things. Uh, I just about, you know, I just about fell um, yesterday just getting the paper on my front step. I believe you know, it. Yeah, you know, I went outside to reach down. I kind of slipped a little bit, and then I threw my shoulder out, and, mm. and and I didn't even hit the ground. So you can really injure yourself on this stuff just by falling weird or catching yourself, or certainly if you fall down and you break your ankle, your hip, or your wrist, there is quite a bit of that going on right now. It's a uh, I guess it's one of those hazards of living where we do. That's true. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, do do be careful out there. I think this this is maybe the worst combination of weather for that slipperiness when you get that little bit of rain. Kind of a one-two punch. It is a one-two yeah. punch. So do be careful out there. The one of the the worst things for people um, who are, especially if you're older, is to break a hip. Um, and so uh, that's that's the thing we worry about the most. So do be careful out there. A texter wants to know. Uh, the difference between the cold and the flu. I mean, what what are the symptoms of either one? And when you... I find out, I'll let you know. <laughs> that that is one of the hardest things. I to bet tell. It, is. it is one of the hardest things to tell. Um, but there are some general things. They're both caused by a virus, so that's the similar thing. They both can have a, a kind of an aches and pains, and they're both sort of in your head. But the difference is that a flu usually has a fever. Not always, but almost always. Usually as a high fever, colds usually do not. Colds are usually above your neck only. And flu, your whole body aches. Um, they both can have a cough. Um, and uh, the, um, so that's a similarity. But the third difference is the cold's above your head. Mm-hmm. Cold doesn't have a fever. <clears throat> Excuse me. And a cold comes on more slowly. Generally over a day or two or three, you're feeling a little worse. You're a little stuffy. You're coughing, maybe sneezing. You just feel a little bit over a few days. Flu comes on generally over a few hours or, or less than a day. You're fine yesterday. You're not fine today. And if it's a lower GI issue, that's not that's really not, the flu. That's, that's a different flu, bug yeah. or, that, or other issue. That's right, Denny. Yeah. Um, you can have some stomach upset, little diarrhea, stomach, stomach, stomach pains, tummy pains, I was going to say. <laughs> stomach. <laughs> You'd have stomach pains. You could have a little, a little belly pain with, uh, with the flu, but it's not common. Um, okay. It is. It, it's that's usually a different bug. All right, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Text is eight one eight zero seven. We'll go back to the text screen in a moment. But Didi is calling in from, I believe, Minneapolis. Didi, what is your question for uh, for Doctor Hilden? Uh, yeah, my name is David, but um, I'm looking to find a uh, see if the new specialty center will have a, a cystic fibrosis clinic uh, for adults and pediatrics. Great question, David. So we don't have at Hennepin a specialized center just for cystic fibrosis. Um, So that's the short answer. We do have outstanding pediatric pulmonologists. Um, And I will name the best one that I know is Gail Brotman, B-R-O-T-T-M-A-N. Gail works both at the university and at Hennepin, and she is a pediatric pulmonologist. So she deals with... um, 
with uh, patients who have cystic fibrosis. I, but that being said, there's not a specialized center for it. The nearest one in Minneapolis that I'm aware of is at the University of Minnesota. Okay. A texter, Dave, uh, Dr. Hillen, wants to know, uh, first, Happy New Year. Comes from Jan in St. Anthony. How can a hypertensive have low sodium and low chloride? Yeah, um, thanks for your text. So your sodium is a weird thing we measure, which sounds like we're just measuring the salt in your body. Why wouldn't it be high um, if, um, uh, if you have high blood pressure? But it's much more complicated than that. Your body regulates your electrolytes um, exquisitely. They're into, into certain ranges. And sodium can, believe it or not, be um, high, normal, or low in people who have heart disease or high blood pressure. It can be any of the above. Um, and so it's not a reliable measure of your blood pressure. It's a very reliable measure of the electrolytes in your body. It's a reliable measure of how much water is in your body. Um, and so that's why your sodium can be all over the place. So when we say – when we talk about sodium and salt and people with blood pressure, what we're talking about mostly is don't add salt to your food. We're talking about table salt, the white granules. Um, read labels so and buy low-sodium foods. Um, just try to eat lesser salt because it does affect the fluid balance in your body and it affects your blood pressure. But the blood tests um, aren't uh, – um, they don't correlate. The same thing with chloride. The texter mentioned okay. chloride as well. All right. 651-989-9226 is the phone number. There's a line open if you'd like to use it or send a text if that's easier. That number again, 81807. Uh, Bill's calling in from Henriette. Bill, uh, Dr. Hilden is listening. Hi. Good morning, guys. I uh, hope you had a Merry Christmas. And to you. Um, to you. Uh, Dr. Hilden, I've, I've called in quite a few times in the past, uh, on uh, different issues regarding my diabetes and my uh, my neck injury I had. Uh, one concern I have is I, because of my diabetes, I, I'm almost 60 years old. I've got a problem with ED, could be diabetes and my neck injury I had. Um, I tried to uh, make an appointment with your specialist there at HCMC, and they told me that I needed a referral from my family doctor, which he did send in a referral three, four months ago. I have not heard back from you guys. Um, how how can I get in to see your uh, special Good. Uh, your specialist? Good questions. I'm sorry about that, uh, Bill. Thanks for calling, and and happy holidays to you too. I, I know you do some. You're a regular listener, so I appreciate that, Bill. <clears throat> Excuse me, as I coughed into the phone into the microphone. Uh, I, I don't know what happened with your scheduling, but I can I will look into it um, off the air and see what's going on with that. But um, your um, erectile dysfunction when people have that is it is very common with people with diabetes. It's also just common with men who are getting a little bit older, but it's not inevitable. So it has to do with the microvasculature um, of your body and with the nerves of your body, both of which are can be kind of uh, messed up a bit with diabetes. I doubt this from your neck injury, but it's possible. Um, it's far more likely to be from your diabetes. We have a good crew of urologists who specialize in this, and so I will uh, look into that and we'll get you into somebody, Bill. Thanks good. for your call. Very good. Thanks, Bill. Uh, again, well, if you find the lines busy, keep trying. 651-989-9226. You can see a text there for us? Sure. Let's do this one. It says, 
Can anything be done to improve stage 3 kidney disease? And the answer to that is yes. Um, Kidney disease goes from stages 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then it goes to dialysis or kidney transplant. It's a staging of how bad your kidneys are. Some kidney problems are reversible and others are not. So usually when we talk about chronic kidney disease, like in stage 3, you're on a pathway on a progressively bad um, path. towards worsening kidney function. So the things you can do are to try to slow or reverse that trend. And uh, you should be seeing a kidney doctor if you have um, stage 3 kidney disease, a nephrologist. Um, They can talk about medications to avoid. There are many medications you should avoid. They can talk about ways to control your blood pressure that are safe for your kidney. They can look into the underlying cause and see if there's something that's reversible because in some cases it's reversible and in some cases it's not. So my main recommendation to the texter is make sure you see a nephrologist. Get to the cause, slow down its progression, see if you have a reversible cause. Okay. We need to take a quick break. So folks on the line, stay there. Texters will pick up on your messages as well. It's an open line show today on Healthy Matters here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to our Healthy Matters show on this Sunday morning. On the last Sunday of the year, uh, we have callers, we have texters. This is an open line show today, so your phone calls and text messages driving the show. Dr. Hilden, uh, let's uh, go back to the phones. Jerry, I believe, is calling from Eagle Lake. Jerry, you're on CCO with the doctor. Uh, yes, doctor. I have a hernia it's on, the, on the right side. I am uh, 77 years old. It's uh, excellent health. The hernia is about the size of an egg, and I've had it probably three, four years in my uh, Primary doctor says, well, if it doesn't bother you, just let it be. Why why take a risk of a surgery if you don't need to? But I'm just concerned about it, and I honestly just, just don't like it. Uh, and I'm wondering, is it okay just to leave it, or, or is, should it have it repaired anyway? Yeah, bo- great question, Jerry. Um, um, I, I uh, You and a, a lot of other men and women um, have that same concern. And, and your, your doctor is correct in that it, you don't have to fix it. It is most hernias are not dangerous, and you, it can be okay um, to let it go if that's your preference. I would probably not agree with your, sur- with your doctor that it's that big a deal to have it fixed, though. Hernia surgeries is, is uh, routine, at least it is for the surgeon. I mean, that is not a big deal to fix, and they can take care of it once and for all. So there's a little bit of a risk to everything, including surgery for hernia. There's a little risk. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, uh, medical, it's a lower risk. So if it's bothering you, if it's this bulging egg in your groin area, you know, and it's really bothering you, you might consider having it fixed. It would be elective. You don't have to. The complication of an unfixed hernia is that your bowel, your intestines could get stuck in there. Literally, they poke through and they get stuck. And that's very dangerous. That's also very rare. That does not happen very often. So it is really a, a kind of a coin toss. You can do it if you'd like. You don't have to. Um, I would actually recommend it. It's a, it's, a, it's a routine surgery. They can get it fixed up once and for all. But that's just my opinion. Okay. Good question, Jerry. Thank, Thank you. you, Jerry. Marlis is calling in from Anoka, I believe. Marlis, you on CCO. Good morning. Good morning to both of you. Um, for the last couple of months, I've been having trouble with peeling uh, fingernails to the point where they're, it looks just downright ugly. I wonder if it's a deficiency or is there something I could take to improve this? Marlis, are the fingernails literally, the whole nail is peeling off? No, just the ends and they're down past, uh, down to the quick now. Yeah. 
Yeah, I would see a dermatologist to have it, it looked at. It could be just a deficiency in something, um, some vitamin, some protein, things like that. Um, that's a possibility. But it's also probably more likely something local at your fingernails. In other words, not a systemic-wide vitamin deficiency throughout your whole body, but something right at your fingernails, something along the lines of a fungal infection, um, uh, uh, which can which can get around the edges of your fingernails, cause the nails to kind of pull away from the skin a little bit, and then your skin gets all dry in there and cracky. And it could be a um, what we call peronychia, which is an inflammation around the nails, which causes a little of, of that sort of. Um, uh, that's usually more of a swelling kind of a thing. Uh, so I would none of those sound dangerous to me. But I would have the, I would have a dermatologist looked at because they'll look at it and in about a nanosecond they'll tell you what it is, oh. and then they can have either a, a topical thing to fix it or they can suggest if it is a vitamin thing. Um, that's that's I think what I would do. Um, the other thing I though the other sort of systemic problem is thyroid disease. Just make sure you can get a blood test from your regular doctor to make sure your thyroid's okay. That would be uncommon as well. Okay, thank you. Though, thank though. you, Marlis. Uh, let's see. We're going to take another call. We have another uh, half hour or so of the show to go. So if you didn't get in the first half hour, you'll have time to call us or text us. Dennis is calling from Prior Lake. Dennis, you're on CCO with the doctor. Yes, sir, doc. Uh, about uh, three weeks ago, came down with an ear infection. The canal swole, swelled up and there was quite a bit of pain. Went to the doc. She said the uh, membrane was uh, inflamed and obviously the canal swollen. She uh, gave me some... Uh, 10 days worth of uh, antibiotics and some eardrops. Since then, the canal has gone back to normal. There's no more pain, but I still have a feeling like there's water or like when you're in a swimming pool and you get water on the inside of the ear. And I'm wondering, is that going to go away or should I go back and have that looked at? Yeah, Dennis, um, thank you for your call. It is it, You are describing exactly probably what's happening. I think there is water behind your eardrum and it should go away on its own. I don't think you have to go in for it. That's the short answer. Um, ear infections have you can have a there's a middle and, and an outer ear. There's also an inner ear, but I won't talk about that. The middle ear is behind your eardrum, your tympanic membrane, which is a, just a microscopically thin membrane which vibrates and allows us to hear. It separates your nasal cavities and your middle ear from the outside world um, through your ear. And if fluid builds up behind that, it sort of becomes a little cesspool. Um, and if bacteria subsequently get in that fluid, that little cesspool becomes an infected cesspool in your middle ear, and it has nowhere to go through your ear, but it has a way to go through your nose, through your eustachian tubes. So those little tubes are dinky, though, and they can get plugged up. So you've done the antibiotics. That's good. There is no need for any more antibiotics, but that fluid can remain. It can remain for a long time. Things you might do is irrigate your sinuses um, with like a neti pot using sterile water or um, with a nasal spray. You might try some decongestants, um, over-the-counter things, um, either in a spray form or a pill form for just a few days because that would take down some of the inflammation. It would open up your, your station tubes to allow that fluid to drain into your nose. Even if you don't do anything, though, I think that fluid will gradually resolve itself um, all by itself without you doing anything. The outer ear canal is on the outside of your tympanic membrane or your eardrum, and that is far, that's what's treated with the drops. So you don't have to do anything with that. That sounds like that's been taken care of. All right, Dennis, thank you. 651 
989-9226. The text number is 81807. Maybe we can grab a text or two before the break. Yeah, let's do that, Danny. Here's a text that says, with type 1 diabetes, would a person be better off seeing an internist or an endocrinologist? The answer is yes. Um, uh, you should have an internist just for your general health care and to sort of be the quarterback of all of your care. Um, I do recommend most type 1 diabetics um, should see an endocrinologist as well. Uh, they are specialists in diabetes, and type 1 is a, a, a more complex animal, if you will. Um, and so I would see them both. I, I, I would for sure have an internist, and I would very – I would – well, I'd for sure have both to that texture. Okay. Let's just say that. Um, Here's one that says, good morning. I have bilateral tibial plateau stress fractures. The cause is unknown, but I'm going to have a bone density test. I'm a woman in my 50s. Question, what can I do to help my knees heal well or faster? I'm still experiencing aching in both knees and legs even when resting them. I was, re- I was diagnosed around the 13th of December with an MRI. Do you have any recommendations? Thank you. Thank you for your text. Um, the stress fractures are uh, – I would get that bone density test. Um, uh, you're a woman in your 50s. You're young. That would be young to have um, uh, that kind of a thing um, without some kind of trauma. So look to see if your bone mineral density is unusually low. I do agree with that. I would see a physical therapist. My biggest recommendation for this texter is to listen to our show next week. We are having a physical therapist or two on, and we are going to talk about this. Um, In fact, we're having a couple of women who I have had – um, at an event before, who are experts, particularly in women's physical therapy. So listen to next week's show, Texter. But I would see a physical therapist. That's what I would for sure do. Anytime you have a knee injury, even if there's a stress fracture, they can give you exercises that are safe, that will help you heal faster without making it get worse. Excellent. Well, we'll take a break, Doctor. We have another, again, half hour of the show to go. So join us either by phone or by text. 651 989 Text is 81807. More Healthy Matters straight ahead here on News Talk 830-WCCO. Stay with us. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters on this Sunday morning. This is an open line show. Today means your phone calls and text messages the rest of the way. If you have a general health question for your host, Dr. David Hilden, now is your chance. I see a line is open if you'd like to fill it. 651-989-9226. Or if you'd rather, send a text, 81807. I know we have a bunch of those as well. Can I do a few of those? Uh, let's, yeah, let's do that. But I wanted to make mention, too, about the healthymatters.org. Yeah. So I, um, uh, as I said last week, um, that we have a website that's associated with the show. It's called healthy, uh, myhealthymatters.org. I encourage you to go and check it out. And, so, and many of you do that every day. Hundreds of people look at it every day. And a few of you have, have commented to me um, through various means. Yeah, but you haven't done anything new lately. Yeah, which is true. Yeah, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, I've taken a couple-month hiatus on putting new posts. But there's a 100 um, little short articles to read that I have personally written um, on a variety of topics from the past two years. And I am going to resume uh, writing again in the new year. Uh, it, it, uh, it's something I enjoy doing, but it, it takes some time to, and thought to, to do it. But um, please go to myhealthymatters.org and check it out and um, do so in the coming year as well. Subscribe by email and then you'll get a notice um, very infrequently, but you'll get a notice when, when I've put a new post up there. It's called myhealthymatters.org. It's easy to do from your phone, laptop, your tablet, your office, wherever you'd like to do that, myhealthymatters.org.
Okay. Let's uh, go to the phones, then we'll pick up on some text messages. Kay is calling from New Ulm, Minnesota. Kay, good morning. You're on CCO. Uh, yes. I would like to know what acute intestinal failure is and what causes it and how it can be treated. Kay, did somebody tell you that diagnosis? That's not a term we use very often. Um, I have a friend who's 74 years of age, and he was told that he had that. Yeah, that's not a um, a very common uh, a medical term, but I can tell you what I think it might be. Um, so acute just means it happened quickly. Intestinal is your intestines. It is likely he had some type of ischemic bowel, um, uh, which is not enough blood supply to your intestines. That can hurt a great deal. It can cause digestive problems, and indeed it can be very dangerous. Um, so, so if you, the, there are other reasons your intestines might not work very well, they're not like one of the organs like your heart, however, which does something every minute, you know, every or every second, every heartbeat. If your heart fails, you just you don't survive, you know, you don't. But it, with intestines, um, they're more of a all day long thing. They're kind of on the job all day long. But if you lack blood supply, that would be one reason your intestines could fail just right away. Another thing that can happen is that they can get obstructed. You can have a bowel obstruction, which could lead to an acute failure. Um, all of these things um, and need need immediate attention, and so uh, there there would be an urgency to getting these checked out. Uh, I'm trying to think of other causes of that bowel obstruction or not enough blood supply would be the two most common things. There could be other things though. It's not a very specific diagnosis. Um, uh, but but your bowels have to get a blood supply and they have to be moving. So um, a gastroenterologist would would help out with those things. Or if you if it lacks blood supply, he should be in the hospital for that. Okay, I'm not sure that answered your question, but I don't know enough about his about the situation to probably say much more than that. Okay. But thanks for your call. Six five one nine eight nine nine two two six, or you can send a text if you like. Uh, let's go to Andover. I think Jacques is there with a question for the doctor. Good morning. You're on CCO. Good morning, Doc. Uh, Ongoing shoulder and rotator cuff issues. I did go in for an MRI. I'm 66 years old, and the doc says my right shoulder is inoperable, and if I was older, I'd do a shoulder replacement. What recommendations do you have for me to get through these days without doing really aggressive surgery? Right. Um, Jacques, can you move your arm at all? Oh, yeah. I can can move my arm up and down. I can lift. I can. I, the strength is there. It's just not as much strength as I used to have. But it's just an ongoing right. light pain. Some days worse. Some days not bad. But sleeping at night is an issue. Yeah. Have you seen a physical therapist by chance? I have not. Yeah. So what I would recommend. So you have a partial. You either have a partial tear of one of the four muscles of the rotator cuff. There are four, or you have some inflammation in there. Or you have um, some kind of, I'll call it a sprain, like, a, like the muscle fibers and the tendons got pulled and stretched a little bit too much. So the reason I know it's not a complete tear is because you can move your arm. You can move it some. It's uncomfortable in some positions, but you can move it. If, you're, if a muscle is torn completely through or if more than one of them are, and that happens in rotator cuffs, then usually they operate on them because you can't move your arm. But as long as you can, that means the structures are mostly intact. 
Um, and um, I would recommend physical therapy. Again, we're going to talk about this on next week's show. So I would listen to next week's Healthy Matters at the same time um, on, on CCO. And we're going to talk to physical therapists, and this is probably something we'll talk about. I would see a physical therapist because they can give you safe exercises to strengthen the structures. And um, that's your first bet. Your second thing after that is potentially a chiropractor. Your thing after that could be a massage therapist or an acupuncturist. All four of these professionals are legitimate. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, illegitimate ways to deal with to deal with it. I would probably start with a physical therapist. That's where I would begin. Um, the other last possibility is that there's a bone problem. Um, if your doctor was recommending that at some day in the future you might need a shoulder replacement. That is usually because there's a problem with the bone. Arthritis is bad and the bones are grinding on each other. So you might have something like that. You can still see a physical therapist or a chiropractor, but they are not going to be able to solve the bone problem. They can't. They can only strengthen the surrounding structures. And I think that's a great idea for you to do. That would be my next steps. But again, next week, uh, the show is going to be physical therapy. We are going to talk about physical therapy next week. We have the best physical therapy gym in the metro area, in my opinion, in downtown Minneapolis at Hennepin. They're fantastic. Uh, one more call, and then let's go back to the, the tech screen. Ron is calling from Shoreview. Ron, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning to you, um, and hello, doctor. Uh, my question is, or maybe you can make a comment about cholesterol medications. Um, I've had some issues in the past with uh, Lipitor and Crestor with its side effects. I'm 57 years old. I'm in pretty good shape. And I have to tell you, um, the side effects uh, crushed me pretty well, and uh, I was almost diagnosed as having rheumatoid arthritis. Um, I talked to my heart cardiologist about it, and he actually uh, took me off of those medications and put me on Rapasa. Um, I do work out. Like I said, I'm in good shape, and I feel now I feel like a million bucks, where in the past I, I felt old, and, and again, uh, those side effects of achy joints and pain set in. Could you elaborate a little bit on that, please? Absolutely. Um, those are great. You've kind of summarized the questions around cholesterol um, for, for the year 2018 or 2019. Ten years ago, I would have said, yes, take your statin, take your Crestor, take your Lipitor and get over it. It's so great. You have to take it. The, the medical science have evolved in the last decade and we're more nuanced now. Uh, whereas in the past, we told everybody to take it because we thought it did. It was so great. Now we tell people, certain people, to take a statin medication for your cholesterol because for certain people, it still is really great. If you have had a heart attack or you have coronary disease, you should be on a statin. If you have diabetes, and, and um, you should strongly consider being on a statin. If you have very, very high cholesterol, you should consider being on a statin. But the old way of doing it, of just looking at your LDL, bad cholesterol, and putting everybody who had a high LDL on a statin, those days are gone. And so it is quite likely you don't need anything. Now, I don't know your numbers, Ron, but um, especially if your quality of life at a relatively young age, you're only in your 50s, I would say it is um, uh, probably a great move for you to be off of the statin, unless you meet one of those categories, those high-risk categories that I don't know about. Um, but it is quite uh, – um, Possible that you don't need anything. I'm. I don't know what to tell you about the Repatha. That's a newer medication that is um, high. It's expensive. I don't know what the data shows. It might be a good thing or it might not. Um, I would really look hard at your risk factors for heart disease. I strongly recommend you go to um, 
to calculate your 10-year risk. This is something that all listeners can do. Go to the American Heart Association and search for the term um, cardiovascular risk calculator. Put in the numbers that it's going to ask you, and it'll tell you what your odds are of having a heart problem in the next 10 years. And if that number is high, greater than 7.5% or greater than 10%, then maybe you would want to be on a cholesterol medicine. If that number is below 10%, I don't think you need to be on anything. Just eat right, eat a lot of uh, healthy foods, um, exercise, and maybe you don't need to be on anything. So that's, yeah. a, that's a complicated topic, but I think you're probably wise to be off the statin based on what I can tell. Before we do a quick break, how about a quick text? Okay. Here's a text that says, I'm not on any prescription meds. I don't have a family doctor, but figure that I should get one. What type of doctor should I contact? You mentioned that an internist is a good family doctor. So a family doctor with a capital F and a capital D is a specialty of medicine called family medicine, and I have plenty of colleagues who are family doctors that I respect a great deal. Family medicine doctors are one type of primary care doctor. A a doctor trained in family medicine delivers babies, knows orthopedics, treats you cradle to grave. A different kind, a different kind of primary care doctor is what I am. That's an internist. I don't deal with children. I don't deliver babies. I don't do orthopedic surgery. Um, I do adults. I do diseases of adults. So I am slightly biased because it took me a zillion years to get trained to be an internal medicine doctor. I am slightly biased towards um, adults of a certain age, anything over age 40 of seeing an internist. But I have about 10 family doctor colleagues. If they were listening right now and saw me, they'd be slapping me right in the face. <laughs> they'd say, nah, they should see a family doctor. I've gr- <laughs> so I'm a slightly biased towards an internal medicine doctor. But either way, either way you go, you see a primary care doctor, a family medicine doctor, or an internist. Either one is okay. Very good. Let's uh, take a break. We have more show to come. It's a Healthy Matters uh, show today is an open line show. We'll get back to more of your phone calls and text messages here on News Talk 830 WCCO. It's 21 degrees. And welcome back to Healthy Matters, this open line show today, meaning your phone calls and text messages. And you can see, Dr. Hilden, a lot of text messages. All right, let's go back to some that came earlier in the show. Here's one that says, does eosinophilic bronchitis ever go away? How does it start? Um, eosinophils are a white type of white blood cell that is, is um, part of your body's allergic immune system. So eosinophilic bronchitis is an inflammation of your airways that causes something that resembles asthma, except that unlike asthma, you don't wheeze. It just causes a cough and some um, kind of similar symptoms, upper airway stuff. It's usually treated with immunosuppressants like prednisone. Yes, it can go away. Some people, it goes away after uh, your first bout. Other people have longstanding problems with it and need to take like something like prednisone, a steroid, for the long term. If you have that, you should be seeing a pulmonologist and slash or an allergist. Okay, next text says, is congestive heart failure curable? What is done for it? The answer to that is possibly. Congestive heart failure is a chronic condition in which your heart is not beating strong enough to meet the needs of your body. And so um, it doesn't mean it's, it's different from a heart attack. It doesn't mean you're dying, uh, but you can die from it. But it's not curable in the traditional sense that I just give you something or you get a surgery or you take this pill and it goes away. For the vast majority in heart failure, it's a condition to be managed over time. There are some causes of heart failure that are curable. For instance, if you have a bad valve, you have your mitral valve, one of your four valves and your heart goes bad. If it goes bad, it leads to heart failure. You get a valve replacement, your heart failure goes away. 
So it is treatable in some cases when there's a fixable condition. If you have blocked arteries, they can open up those arteries and it can make your heart failure get much better. So a cure is not generally the word we use, but yes, it is reversible and treatable, um, but it is generally a chronic condition. All right, let me see. Let's go back to some more text messages here. My Here's one. My husband was just diagnosed with pneumonia and also has type 2 diabetes. What can he do to hasten recovery while on the antibiotic drugs? I'm not sure there's anything specific your husband needs to do because of his diabetes, but there is one thing I do want to – I take that back. There is one thing I want your husband to do, and that is to make sure his glycemic control is good during the treatment. Glycemic control means keep your blood sugars in the normal range. Uh, Your body does not heal as well when your blood sugars are elevated. So make sure he's doing that. And other than that, do all, just take your antibiotics, rest, eat some chicken soup. That's a good idea. And keep your blood sugars under control. Time for a couple more here? Sure. All right. Let's, uh, let's go up here. Um, oh, I've answered that one. Did that one about the tibial plateaus. Here's one that says, my young adult daughter has repeated sinus infections every three months or so. Any idea of what causes this? It could be an ongoing allergic condition. In fact, that seems like a likely thing in your young adult daughter. Um, Your sinuses are literally holes in your skull. That's all they are. They're holes in your skull. And there's holes in your skull right underneath on your cheekbones. There's some in between your eyes. There's some kind of behind your eyes. And if they get filled with fluid and that fluid gets stuck in there, it leads to sinus pressure. The vast majority of sinus infections are not bacterial and do not require antibiotics. Um, Nine out of ten of them are not. The antibiotics are worthless. So you don't need that in most cases. However, if you're getting repeated symptoms every few months, I would see an allergist or an ear, nose, throat doctor. They can do some imaging of of your daughter's head, um, probably a CAT scan, and look to see if there's chronic inflammation of your sinuses. They can prescribe some medications to help with that. They can treat allergies if that's the cause. Or if there's a structural problem, like the drainage tubes aren't working, an ear, nose, throat doctor can take care of that, although that would require some type of surgery. All right. Let's go to another one. Let's see. We have an excellent family practice, doctor. What is the difference between a general practitioner and an internist? Thank you from JS. Similar to my last question, an internist is a type of primary care doctor. The term general practitioner is no longer used in the United States. That is a term that we just don't use. The the minimum treatment or training a doctor can have in this country is three years after the four years of medical school, which is after the four years of college. So it's 11 years. And a family medicine doctor or an internist are two types of primary care um, doctors. You can get either one of them. All right. Here someone says, thanks, uh, uh, doctor and WCCO. I'll be listening to your show next Sunday to hear about physical therapy. You know, it, here's the, it's probably the same person who texted about stress fractures. I can use this opportunity to, to remind people that next week we are going to have some physical therapists on the show. We're going to have Beth and Kelly, um, two people I have met at Hennepin this past year who did an outstanding talk at our clinic and specialty center about um, physical therapy. You're going to really want to listen in. If you're having aches and rotator cuff problems, knee pain, we're going to be talking about physical therapy next week for our first show of our 11th year. Um, Let's see. Here's one that says, what does it mean to have a high carbon dioxide in a blood test? Your carbon dioxide is a a measure we use for the acidity of your blood. If it's too high, your blood is a little bit too um, 
if it's too high, see, I got to think about that one. <laughs> you're, you're probably not acid enough in your bloodstream because your body has elevated that. It's a little bit too complicated to talk more about in a text message. Um, let's see. A little less than 60 seconds. I got 60 go seconds. Here, <laughs> here we go. Sticking. Doctor, I was turned away from blood donation due to rapid pulse. I have a low blood pressure. What is a rapid? Is it a problem? It's 114. Um, yes, you should look into that. You might be dehydrated. You might have some other kind of heart problem. Most probably you're just nervous donating blood and your heart's a little too fast. So make sure next time you try to donate blood, give plenty of fluids, be well hydrated, be nice and calm, and see if your heart rate is normal. If it's not, go see a doctor. See why it's going fast. And if you don't have a primary care doc, with meaning a family practice physician or, or an, an internist, internist, you can check us out at 612-873-6963. When you call that number, just say, hey, I need a new primary care doctor. The number is 612-873-MYMD. 612-873-6963 or check us out at hennepinhealthcare.org. Happy New Year to you and everybody at Hennepin. And to you, Denny. All right, thanks very much. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.